Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, do get a Bible. We're in Amos chapter 6. And uh, after Anastasia's read, Bex is going to come and uh, speak to us. Hello. I'll be reading today. So it's Amos 6, 1 till 7. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure in Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Canaan and look at it, go from there to Great Hamath, and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than, you, your, than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. <coughs> you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away in your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. <clears throat> so I'm just going to do a little prayer now. Um, God, we thank you for today. Um, we thank you for this church, the wonderful community that it is. Um, we thank you for Rebecca and the gifts that you've given her. And we pray that you truly just um, speak through her today, that our eyes and ears will be opened, and that we will hear what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, for any of you guys who don't know me, my name is Rebecca, and I've been coming to Christ City Church for about four years now. And um, so, whether it's your first time at Christ City Church, or you know you've been here many a time, you're so so welcome. Instagram versus reality. This is a current trend on Instagram, whereby two people post two photos, one representing Instagram, the other the reality. Now, as you can see on the screen, I've got a lovely example here for us today. So if you look on any tourist brochure, the Great Wall of China is presented as peaceful, tranquil, breathtaking views. And yet the reality is in the day you go, it's probably going to be packed full of people, warm, squishy, a small person's absolute nightmare. The idea is that Instagram, by its very nature, gives us a highlight reel of people's lives. It cuts out the bad, the ugly, and gives us an airbrushed version, the good bits. So if you have a phone with you, or for you guys online, you have a phone beside you, take it out and look at your Instagram profile. I looked at mine this week, and I definitely testify to this idea of it being a highlight reel. Two years ago, I went to Australia. And if you looked at my Instagram, you'd think I had the best time ever. And it was really good. But it didn't show the nights when I was really upset and missed my family, my friends, or had the fear of missing out from everything that was going back home on in Ireland. In the passage that was just read to us, both the Israelites and Judah are being addressed here. Now, when we started this series, we were told that the Israelites were split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and both are being addressed here. But the key thing in this passage is that the Israelites are living in the Instagram. 
they're living comfortable lives and they think they have it all sorted. But Amos comes in to give them a sobering reminder that the reality is that the way they're living is not good. He pops their Instagram bubble and forces them to consider the reality of their actions. He wants to challenge them to redefine what comfort really is. The lure of comfort. We knew right from the outset that Israelites are living comfortable lives. Look with me at verse one. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, which was another word for Judah, and to you who feel secure in Mount Samaria. Judah is defined as being complacent and the Israelites feel secure. They are living comfortable lives. And Amos goes on to show us this. Look with me at verse four. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. Now this is important because the thing about ivory was that it was both rare and expensive. And so here Amos is saying, you know, they had a bed and then they were just decorating it for the sake of it with ivory. These guys are living luxurious and extravagant lives. Moreover, verse four goes on to tell us that they ate choice lambs and the fattened calf, which means they were eating the best of the best. We know from verse six, they're getting drunk as they're drinking wine by the bowlful. So we know without a doubt the Israelites are living what Instagram would tell you is their best life. They're feasting, they're indulging, and they're living lives of luxury. And this all sounds pretty good, right? I mean, we don't lie on beds adorned with ivory, but we do live in nice houses. We get to go to university. As lockdown and restrictions begin to listen, we've been able to go back to the restaurants that we love, that we are used to. We can start going to the pub again for drinks. We too enjoy comfortable lives. What could be wrong with that? But Amos in verse one says, woe to you who are complacent. And woe is not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. So what is the issue here? Look with me at verse six. You do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. I'm sure many of you have heard of the story of Joseph. Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. And Joseph was his favorite son. So he made him this spectacular coat of many colors. But all his other brothers get jealous. And so they hatch a plan. They're gonna get rid of Joseph. So they throw him into a pit and then decide to sell him into slavery. While Joseph is in the pit, he watches while his brothers eat bread. This is a story of oppression, of heartache. So Amos, all these years later, is talking about the oppressed. Like Joseph who watched from the pits while his brothers indulged and ate bread. So there are people in Israel who watch while others live lives of luxury. The problem is that all the Israelites really care about is themselves, ensuring they maintain a comfortable life. And in pursuit of such a life, they have been blinded. 
See, the lure of comfort, the appeal of comfort makes us look inward and not outward to the needs of others. So the power of comfort. The truth of the matter is that comfort is alluring and the Israelites have fallen hook, line and sinker for the pursuit of a comfortable life. But where does its appeal really lie? Well, there are three things Israelites believe that they will get from the comfortable life. The first one is satisfaction. Look at the verses we've just read. Wine, food, beds adorned with ivory, the best ointments. They believe these things will satisfy them. And don't we believe it too? If I could just get the mortgage to have that house in Dublin, or if I could just, if clubs could just open again, then my life would be really good. And the second thing is power. Look at verse three. They put off the day of doom. You know, Amos is coming to warn them. He's telling them to stop doing what they're doing. They're saying, I don't have to worry. And why do they think they don't have to worry? Because they think they are in control because they believe they are powerful enough. And the third thing is security. Look at verse one. You who feel secure, they believe because they have all these things, everything will be okay. So let's take an example from our modern world today. The porn industry. Globally, porn is a $97 billion industry. Society tells us it will satisfy us, it will give us power and it will make us feel secure. But the reality is that porn and human trafficking are inseparably linked. In seeking comfort in all the things that go with it, it is so easy to turn a blind eye to those that are oppressed and suffering. Or another example might be clothes. We love clothes, the feeling of buying new clothes, of trying them on, of wearing them. It's all fun, isn't it? But once more, we're fed the airbrushed version. Because the reality is for our clothes to be made, there are young women and children being exploited, being paid unfair wages and working in appalling conditions. So once more, comfort causes us to turn inward, spurred by the assurance that it will leave us feeling secured and satisfied. Does it? Do these things truly satisfy you? Do they fulfill a deep longing to be known, to be loved? So where does this leave us? See, the Israelites are gonna be punished because of the way they've been living. See verse seven. Therefore, you'll be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. And with the beauty of hindsight, we know that the Israelites were captured by the Assyrians. Their lounging and feasting did end. And in all honesty, I find writing this talk hard today. Why, you might ask. Because it forced me to realize that I put my comfort in all the wrong things that my pursuit of comfort has totally blinded me. See, Instagram, it promises us things in the here and the now. And the appeal is, is that of the immediacy, 
of the instantness that it provides. So for me, after a bad day or a tough day or a stressful day, I think a bit of Netflix, a glass of red, and some retail therapy will sort me out. So it turns out the Israelites aren't the only ones lounging and feasting. So we can choose to keep living like the Israelites did, turning a blind eye, hedging our bets in this comfortable life that didn't last. Or we can choose to redefine what comfort really means. Redefine comfort. I'm going to tell you about a man named Jesus. Now, there are many stories about Jesus, but the one I'm talking about today is when Jesus is tempted by the devil. So Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, and the devil comes to him and tempts him with three things. One, bread. Two, to prove he really is the son of God. And three, all the land. And do you see how closely those things are linked to what we talked about earlier? Bread or food, it will satisfy. To prove he really is the son of God, power. All the land, security. I mean, you could just imagine after all that time in the desert, all you would want is some food or a piece of bread. And yet each time Jesus says no to the devil, and instead chooses to worship God. See, he is offered the conventional worldly view of comfort, of things, and instead he chooses to show us where true comfort is found, in knowing God, his heavenly Father. But not only do we have a great example of what redefining comfort looks like, but we can know the great comforter because of Jesus. In choosing to die on the cross, Jesus left the comfort of God so that we could know real comfort. If Jesus viewed comfort the way we did, he wouldn't have died on the cross. And yet he chose to put aside his own comfort to save us. And comfort with Jesus looks outward. It doesn't look inward. It looks outward. He looks to our needs, to the needs of others. So what does it mean to know the great comforter? Sorry, Kitty, could we just get the next slide? Brilliant. Oh, just next one after that. Brilliant. It firstly means our load is lighter. Our feelings of satisfaction, power and security are not momentary, fleeting and tied to circumstance. They are real in the good, the bad and the ugly. Our possessions and houses we know are gifts from God and are good things and are thankful for. But we know that they are not the most important thing. We know none of these things will truly satisfy us. And because of this, it means we can love from a place of beauty, not duty. When we realise where true comfort is found, we love and care for the poor from a place of beauty, not duty. 
See, the thing is, our natural inclination is to come up with a plan. X is the problem, Y is the solution. There's a homeless crisis in Dublin, we'll get a plan together. That'll sort it. We'll go down to KC Peaches, we'll get our flat whites, we'll sit down and we'll make a plan, and it'll all be sorted. The problem is, isn't that we need a plan. The problem is that people don't care. The problem is that when we feel guilty or help out to feel good, to better ourselves, that will never, ever work. Because it's based on a duty that you may not feel tomorrow. So we need to love from a place of beauty. See, the cross is the great equalizer. No one comes to it better than anyone else. Whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're the most cool, calm, collected person you will ever meet, it doesn't matter. The cross reminds us that we are not good. Every single one of us. We all needed Jesus to save us. And in return for that acknowledgement of brokenness, it gives us deep, lasting comfort that we are loved by the very thing that we were created by. To the person struggling with porn, to the shopping addict, to the person who has never for a second considered the homeless in Dublin. For me, the person who lives in the moment and doesn't even think five minutes ahead. It gives us grace, a fresh start, a clean slate. And that is real beauty. That Jesus took the punishment we deserved, that he faced oppression, that he suffered a miscarriage of justice. Do you know there was no evidence to convict him, not one under the Greco-Roman laws, and yet he was sentenced to crucifixion. He gave up his rightful place as high king to be born in a manger. He became poor so that we could be rich in the love of God. This is a real beauty. And it is a beauty that is so dazzling and glorious that when you know it to be true, how can you not but love the poor and oppressed? Because isn't that who Jesus was? The poor and the oppressed? And when we know a love like this to be true, we need to keep going back to it. So my third point is, we need to go back to the basics. Katie said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You need to love your neighbour as yourself. The problem, as we have seen, was that Israelites loved comfort more than they loved God. And it completely blinded them. So let's keep going back to our relationship with God. Let's keep going back to him. And number two, love your neighbour. Now, anyone who knows me knows I'm a bit of a law nerd. And in one of the most infamous cases of all time, the Lord in the House of Lords asked, who then in law is my neighbour? But see, Jesus, he doesn't place a limit on who our neighbour is. In fact, the closest meaning of what neighbour meant in its original Hebrew was fellow citizen. So that means Jesus wants us to love all our neighbours, the poor and the rich. 
Now you might be asking, how do we do this in a city like Dublin that is always go, go, go? And the first thing I would say to you is, we need to stop making that an excuse. We need to stop making an excuse that because we live in a transient, ever-growing city that we can't go and get to know our neighbour. Let me tell you this. My granny moved into a new flat over COVID. She moved to a completely new area. And within two weeks, she could tell you the entire life story of all seven other residents. Two weeks. We have no excuse to not go and love our neighbour. Number two. We need to get to know them. What do they like? What do they not like? Invite them over, play tennis, go to the pub. The things you can do are endless. Use the things that God has given you to love them. And the third thing is, we're there for them in the good, the bad, and everything in between. Two years ago, my neighbor Jerry died, and it was totally unexpected. In a small cul-de-sac, in a seaside town, we all felt his loss. And after he died, I watched a community love each other well. I watched my neighbours, Paddy and Jill, have his wife over on Valentine's Day. I watched others bake casseroles and leave them round. And we mourned the loss together. It was a small act of kindness, but they reminded me of Jesus and his very, very clear words to love our neighbour. Instagram sells us the comfortable life and it is so easy to see the appeal and be lured in. Comfort is powerful because it tells us it will give us satisfaction, power and security. But we need to challenge this idea of comfort and to redefine what comfort really means. That it is about a relationship with the great comforter. And that lightens our load, means we can love from a place of beauty, not duty, and that we can love our neighbors. Verse seven said, therefore you'll be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. But today guys, there is hope. See the way the Israelites were feasting was not good. But today we're going to remember a good feast, the one that Jesus had with his disciples, where we remember the price he paid for us on the cross. See, the truth is, the reality is that for no, those who know Jesus, our feasting hasn't even properly begun because we cannot even begin to imagine the feast that God has prepared for us in heaven. Instagram tells us it is about the here and the now. What can I get? God says, find your comfort in me. And the best feast you could ever imagine is waiting for you. Just hold on and keep the faith. I'm just going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite Andrew up. And then Steve is going to lead us in communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are where real comfort is found, that you are our great comforter. Lord, help us see where we are seeking comfort in all the wrong places and make us aware. Don't let it 
blind us, Lord, but help us to see where we need to stop looking inward and start to look outward. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us so that we could know the great comforter. Thank you that the cross means that you emptied yourself so that we may be rich. Please help us to love our neighbour, to stop making excuses, to stop being complacent and falling into those things, Lord. But to remember why we love and why we love the poor and oppressed. And that is because you, Lord, who saved us, became the poor and oppressed. Father, I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the price you paid for us. Amen. Amen.